I was thinking of uh, screenshotting the initial conversation and then literally putting it in my bathroom just so that everyone that visits me <laughs> goes to the loo instead of, you know how like people put Oscars and Grammys in their bathrooms? <laughs> Music YouTube is something we haven't quite explored in this podcast yet, and who better to do that with than Mary Spender. Singer, songwriter, music equipment nerd, and with a channel with over 480,000 subscribers, I have to wonder, how does one get started as a YouTube musician? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. When you meet someone new, and the question about work comes up, what do you say to strangers and new people that you do for a living? I at first say that I'm a musician because I am <laughs> I am firstly a musician um but then if they say oh you know how's it been over the last year which obviously uh hasn't been good for live music whatsoever I will say well I make online content sort of online educational content around music and so yes basically I'm a YouTuber and then they go oh you're a YouTuber I'm like well I'm a I'm a singer-songwriter and then I get all um English about it and then I try and justify it and go well I'm I it's basically I talk about guitars and and then I just don't know really what to say so that's kind of my answer if I'm honest <laughs> that's that's good so wait let's go to the very beginning where were you born I was actually born in Germany huh um my dad was in the army so we were based over there I didn't live there long I think we moved back when I was one and then I grew up in a city called Salisbury in the south of England. Uh, how was your childhood there? It was very normal. My family aren't musical, but I showed an interest in music from the age of six. So my childhood was kind of based around sort of a classical music education. Very supportive family of being a bit of a, a you know, different child to what they may have expected. My dad was in the army and then he just ended up, you know, working in business. And then uh, my mother actually is a nurse now. She she actually retrained uh, when I was a teenager. Once me and my brother were sort of old enough, she went to university and is now still a, a nurse in the NHS. So very normal childhood. But I had this hobby of uh, playing a lot of music. And yeah, then, you know, got in, involved in singer-songwriting when I was about 15. So you, you said you had such an early interest in music. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how that got started? Or is this one of those things that has been present for so long that you don't even remember? I'm, I'm sort of a strange musician. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, music's been my whole life. It's just like, just <laughs> been, it's just been the thing that I felt that I was good at and I picked up really easily. And there were so many things that I did not pick up easily. So music just felt, yeah, just really exciting to me. I was really into it. I started singing at the age of six, had really lovely teachers, uh, a singing teacher that definitely, she kept teaching me until I was 17. So from, from the age of six, so she knew me inside out. And then uh, a lovely piano teacher, and then sort of had to get a, a bit more academic at school and uh, had other sort of, you know, different types of teachers that were just, yeah, quite encouraging, but also pushed me quite hard to 
try and stop being lazy because I, I was a little bit lazy with practice and I would turn up to lessons like most children do where they just don't want to do practice on a weekend or get up early in the morning. I don't know. I just it's just a, it's just a thing that I did. And yeah, now and I still do it, <laughs> which I guess is like uh, my favorite saying at the moment is survival is the new success. So uh, I, I'm, I'm still surviving as a musician in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> You said that you trans that you you at least got into writing songs as a teenager. Mm -hmm. How did that transition happen? And second, did you even early then already see yourself doing a career in this? Yes, I did see myself doing a career in it. From again, age six, I think I wanted to be a pop star. Then, uh, didn't know how I was going to go about it. I started playing the guitar when I was eleven or twelve. And songwriting, I was trying to songwrite then because I felt like I had a lot to say, but I had nothing to say. But then at 15, I like actually started finishing songs that were actually acceptable and started gigging. But I'd been playing in bands before that. So it was kind of like a guitar and singing uh, in a contemporary way was kind of a hobby in comparison to all the classical music I was doing. So it was kind of like this separate entity that was all rather than being told what to do. It was kind of like, okay, well, this is where I can actually find my own voice and say what I want to say rather than just maybe following a score of, you know, classical music in an orchestra or string quartet or trying to do solo recitals that I was terrible at. That's how it got started. I wonder um, why the impulse tends to be when someone shows any sort of interest in music to throw them into a classical system of, of education. Because, uh, and I say this as someone who went through too many years of a conservatory, mm -hmm. like that, that methodology doesn't really work for everyone. So it always seems a little bit weird that that's the default option. It definitely doesn't work for everyone. What do you, what do you play? I don't. That's exactly. Oh. <laughs> what, what did you play? That what? should tell you enough about that. What did you play back then? I used to play. Uh, uh, it's a type of four-string guitar that um, is traditional to Venezuela, where I was born. Right. And always had had a little bit of interest in picking some other things, but the conservatory classical sort of music way of teaching things just drained me of all interest I had in music mm -hmm. and only now when I find the time do I have ideas of retaking that interest but from like a sort of making electronic music type of style thing to see if I can purge myself of of all the bad feelings that gave me <laughs> yeah it's um the classical music route I feel is obviously pushed upon so many children because it actually has a root. So like there, there, is a, there are exams you can take, people can monitor your progress. And I mean, it's so rigorous and you can then pit children against each other and stuff like that, which <laughs> I think is completely unhealthy. But I see why there is a system there that academics or teachers or sort of national education systems decide that that's the way for people to learn music, which luckily I feel with something like YouTube is now being shown that that's not how to teach people music. Well, it's not how to encourage people to keep playing music. I'm very appreciative of the education that I received, but it wasn't 
easy and I see why other people didn't follow through and the amount of friends that you know were also learning the piano when I was learning the piano and then they just decided to quit I can it was just so time consuming too that you had to go all in on it and for me I just saw it as a period of my life where I knew that I would go to university I'd still do classical music there I'd get my degree because it was probably the only degree I was ever going to get and then after that I would give it up and I wouldn't play in an orchestra anymore I wouldn't play in a string quartet I wouldn't do that I would pursue this other thing that I'd been putting on the back burner from day one of wanting to do it full time which was being a singer-songwriter so I kind of saw it as like a, a patience game like okay right I just have to jump through all these hurdles so that I can then have freedom and do my own thing because I satisfied everyone you know whether it was not just my parents were so supportive but they did say hey look you've got time like go and get a degree and then actually because of going and doing classical music the thing that made me special was that I wasn't just a classical musician at university and there was a sort of change of tune where people went you know initially me playing in a rock band was very very frowned upon uh, when I was a teenager and then um, and me writing songs and singing and playing guitar people saw it as a waste of time up until I went to university and then suddenly all the lecturers turned around to me and they were like Oh wow! So you do you you do that too? That's really cool. Good on you. Keep it up. And I was like, oh my god! Thankfully, I've met my people. I found I found my tribe. But I'm I'm so aware that so many people just do not have that, and they also might have terrible, terrible teachers from day one. That if I'd had a terrible teacher at age six, and I did go of, through a few that were not right for me, um, right for other kids, not right for me, and I just had to sort of grin and bear it, but you know, a teacher is so, so important that if they don't inspire you or they don't kind of show you a way of being able to keep on doing it, because it's such a long slog learning any any musical instrument, then you're not going to love it. And you have to love it. Like with anything that you want to become good at, you kind of have to find it easy to be able to put in the 10,000 hours to become, you know, a professional. So, um, yeah, I don't understand either but then I also understand <laughs> I, maybe I, I don't agree with it fully but I understand why, they, why they've done it this way. Did you went through with getting your degree in university? Yes, yes. I went to Bristol University. I didn't go to a conservatoire. I went to a sort of red brick um, Russell Group uni over here just so that I could meet other people other than musicians basically. I wanted to meet people from different subjects and I also wanted an academic degree, not a performance degree, just so that I, it, which actually has paid off because now I basically write essays for my YouTube videos. And uh, luckily, you know, that degree kind of gave me that skill set. That leads perfectly into my next question, which is at what point in this adventure towards a more traditional approach of what you were doing transformed into something connected with the internet? When did YouTube enter into your life? I started my account in like 2005 or 2006 because of wanting to be a singer-songwriter and MySpace coming up and, you know, you having to have a profile on there to be able to get gigs and people started sending links to their music to get even just open mic slots so the internet was kind of there from the very beginning of my singer songwriting but I didn't 
expect YouTube to become the thing that it is today. I don't think anyone really did. But when I was still doing these long cover sets and gigging at the weekends and still uh, having to have a full-time job in something else, I started seeing, you know, photographers and filmmakers and just kind of like normal people or normal creatives managing to build a business on YouTube. And Casey Neistat obviously inspired so many people to start YouTube channels. To the haters, the doubters, my seventh grade vice principal, to everyone who's ever told anyone with a dream they can't. This video's for you. But suddenly, you know, in 2015, it really became pretty mainstream, really. I know it's way more mainstream now, but it just started showing a, an independent pathway. And I'd been neglected and probably, you know, rejected quite a lot from the traditional music industry route because I tried to get managers. No one was really having it. Nothing ever lasted long. Luckily, I didn't sign any terrible contracts or anything like that. So I was completely free to do whatever I wanted. And then I started realizing that I also had this interest in guitars, that I was also watching videos on other people talking about guitars. And I was like, well, I could make a pedal video. So yeah, so 2016 started uploading other videos other than just my original music or covers, which I'd been very infrequent in posting over the last decade before that. So the internet's kind of been there from the very beginning, but it's evolved. And my relationship with it is obviously evolved too. It's interesting how you mention it as an example of escaping the difficulties of the traditional industry of how to, well, put music out there. Mm -hmm. But um, at what, like, it's important to, to know that YouTube isn't uh, a walk in the park either. So I'm curious at what point in this process you started seeing a little bit of momentum that will actually confirm that there was a future in doing things through YouTube. I kept a full-time job that actually had come to me because of me making the YouTube videos. So although I wasn't earning that much income from YouTube between January 2017 and then by the end of 2017 in general, I had gone from working in a finance temp job um, for you know minimum wage to then working in the music industry, but in the music product industry. And what I realized was that there were two music industries and I was much more interested in the gear side than I was worrying about a record label making money off my original songs. So yeah, it's it sort of, I, I didn't really believe that it was going to become my main thing. I kind of thought I needed both. I, th I thought I'd keep a full-time job forever and but be able to make YouTube videos in my spare time. But then within two years, so March 2019, I got to 100,000 subscribers and I was like, hmm, <laughs> I should probably go full time on this because I'm not giving it my full attention, but it's gotten here. So what if I give it my full attention? And what if I finally don't play it safe? Because I've been safe for the, you know, the last uh, 28 years and I've abided by all the rules that everyone else has set for me. What if I actually go out on my own? And I'm interested in business. I'm interested in remaining independent. And also, I like the fact that I, if it fails, I will only blame myself. Whereas if I don't try this, 
then I'm always going to have someone else to blame. And that doesn't really sit right with me because ultimately it should just be down to me. So if I fail at this, at least I tried. But now we're over two years later, still full time. And yeah, some really cool, <laughs> exciting things are happening where it's like the YouTube music world is crossing over with the traditional music world with all this more freedom and um, yeah, control, which is great. It's interesting that the point that you just brought up, because I, I do remember years ago, many years ago, how it was still seen as a very much indie thing to, mm -hmm. to start being a musician through YouTube or through any similar platform. But as you pointed out, nowadays is crossing over in the sense that it's not rare. It's, as, it's actually normalized to a point to have someone in the traditional music industry that got started in YouTube. Now, from someone like me who doesn't follow this very actively, it just seems like some, something that started happening. But how has that clash and that transition, uh, that, that well, that combination of worlds, how have you seen that from your side where you're like right in the middle of it? Well, I, I don't know if I even see myself right in the middle of it now. I think we're, I think me and my friends are starting to realize we're in the middle of it. But, you know, it's, it's happened from 2005 when YouTube uh, sort of started kicking off with, you know, like Justin Bieber, him being found on YouTube, Sean Mendes, um, Gabrielle Aplin, who was a, uh, in, who's an English singer songwriter, she was found and then she was catapulted to fame. But it seemed, it seemed like an either or. So you'd be found on YouTube but then you'd be picked up by a major label and then you wouldn't upload to YouTube anymore. You'd only be uploading official music videos and, you know, more polished stuff. And, and you'd just go down the traditional route and you'd sign the contract and you'd, that's where your career would go. You wouldn't be a YouTuber anymore. Whereas now, I think even if I, I don't think I'd ever sign a traditional music deal. It might be a distribution deal one day with a major label if that i mean it still hasn't happened um so it might never happen but that's probably where i'd go whereas i would only ever keep uploading to youtube because there is no way that i'm slowing down uh on that platform now and i'm not going to suddenly just not upload there because i like the art form of making a youtube video far more than i do even just recording a track so for me personally I'm always going to be actively uploading native content on YouTube. It might evolve, it might change, but yeah. So I think, and I'm hoping that by my journey being so, I mean, I, I just, I was playing to three people until I was 27. And, you know, like most people expect people to be famous at 21. Mm -hmm. And I was still just doing these gigs to no one. <laughs> um, it was like the sound engineer, a friend, and then like the other artist. Like those were the three people in the room. So if other people are going through that too, they might look at something like YouTube and go, well, hang on a minute. This is an another way of reaching an audience that I can't find in a bar, especially, you know, in a year like 2020 when no one's in bars anyway. So. I'm just hoping that it will encourage a whole set of new musicians that understand that it's it's a lot of hard work. If you want to be successful in any field, you're not just going to be handed a dream. You have to sit down and do the work, make the music, make the videos, learn how to talk in front of a camera. And so many people are interested in 
being a major label artist, but they're not interested in sitting down and making a YouTube video and actually trying to start their journey. And that's where I'm just like, well, that's because you probably don't want it enough. So, and you're not going to be handed a dream. That's just not how it works. And also you have to put in the hours of sucking at something. But nowadays people love seeing you improve in real time and alongside them and alongside their lives. And it's a much more organic journey as a musician of which if you want to be a musician for the rest of your life, you have to keep on improving. So you're never just going to be like a perfect product from the get go. Um, you're going to have to evolve and you're going to probably make some mistakes and have failures and everything. But this is a way of actually becoming a full time musician. But there are a lot, a lot of other things that are involved in it. And that's just the way that it is. So, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at with it. I wanted to get your opinion on some of the new platforms that are also entering into this marketplace of being known as a musician. Uh, uh, and I was personally thinking, for example, about TikTok, mm -hmm. because there's a non-insignificant number of musicians of different types that I that I have personally discovered through TikTok. And it seems that not a huge number, but a number of them have managed to get their careers started through that. Mm -hmm. And as someone who is mostly based on YouTube and, and now Nebula, of course, mm -hmm. <laughs> what's your opinion saying the rise of these new platforms? Any platform that commands an audience and if you have a natural ability or, or you work at that form of content and, and you build an audience that way, then you are fully deserving of any success. So just all I think is that I haven't figured out how I should use TikTok best, which is which <laughs> is my problem. It's not that TikTok has a problem because blimey, it's like, you know, everyone's on there um, and people are having these creative careers. I think you have to just enjoy the process of the content that you're making in any form. So, yes, jumping on a platform and suddenly having a viral video is a dream come true to so many people. But you also have to remember, like, you have to upload another video after that. Um, and what does that look like to you? And what's your thought process behind it? Because it's a it's a struggle to follow a hit song. You know, everyone everyone knows that sort of analogy. And it's a struggle to follow a hit video. So as long as people are going onto any platform, whether it's YouTube, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram, as long as you're enjoying the process and you feel like you can sustain the process, then good on you. You know, I, I just, I think you have to kind of be um, everywhere always. TikTok is entertainment, just as YouTube is entertainment. It's just a different format. And um, whatever sparks your interest to build up an audience, then, you know, go for it. Okay. <laughs> Usually I tend to ask people about what advice they will give to someone trying to go through the same journey of discovery that they have gone through. Um, I get the feeling that you already have dropped some of that into the previous questions that I have asked. But if there is, is there anything that you would like to add to someone starting today and being inspired by what you do? It's a really long game. And I think people are, as long as you're not rushing into something before you're really really ready then if you have a dream and you're like well i really want to start a youtube channel or I, or i want to start releasing 
you know, a, a song on TikTok or, or whatever it is. It's like you kind of have to go for it. But also remember that there's no rush. Try and master your craft to the best that you can before going public. But then at the same time, you know, learning in public is also quite admirable and uh, interesting for people to watch. So it really just depends what you really want. I used to persuade everyone to start a YouTube channel in any field because it was changing my life. And now I understand that I really shouldn't recommend it to everyone. It's a very bizarre game and it really doesn't suit uh, everyone. You know, you, you are putting yourself out there which means that there could be a lot of upside because you're being vulnerable and taking risks. But then there could also be a lot of downside, you know, learning to cope with that sort of stuff. It, it's beneficial to have a slow, steady rise rather than just jumping on something because you think you're going to go viral. Because if it does go viral, the drop off after it is, is quite uh, tough to deal with. So it all takes some thought, but then, you know, whatever you want if you if you want to work hard and be a creative uh in 2021 then yeah go for it that's that's usually what i say if people are are asking me what what do you say <laughs> have a very clear idea of who you're making videos for and why and what differentiates you from all the people already trying to do the same mm, interesting i think too many people um, start on the path of trying to live from their creative content online mm -hmm. without an understanding that what they're doing is not particularly different from someone who is already very well positioned in the space that can provide whatever they do. Yes. Yeah, I would definitely say don't expect to make any money from it ever <laughs> um, because then you're going to start doing it for the right reasons. Whereas if you just think, oh, I'm seeing loads of YouTubers get really rich and famous, that's not the right thing to do anything. And also you'll get a kick in the face because that's, <laughs> that's where I feel like YouTube is really, it's really good for a personality type like mine, where it's like, I enjoy being the underdog and I enjoy failure. And that's the way to survive YouTube. Because otherwise, if you just think it's just going to be like success over and over and you're just going to like attract hundreds of thousands of people all the time you're wrong and uh you need to you need to love the hustle a bit as well but i like that like really think who you're making videos for but i do think if you really think about it no one has ever lived your life no one's experienced what you've experienced and that does help you think about what you can offer even if something's been done a hundred times a hundred times a million times like a music youtube channel no one's necessarily had your interests. No one exactly likes the music that you like. No one sings the way you sing. No one plays the way you play. But that's once you've been working on your craft. So work on the craft, figure yourself out before taking it online. I wanted to explore a little bit something that you, you mentioned, which is the... <laughs> The pain of being on the wave after a viral hit. Mm -hmm. And based on your comments, it sounds like you have personal experience on this. And I, I think most experienced creators do. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to know a little bit more about your experience through those hits. Have you had any significant viral hits in the past that you had to recover emotionally from, so to speak? 
Yes, and in a few different ways as well. Like um, my first actual video that went over a million hits uh, happened to me in, I think, October 2019. And so I'd been making YouTube videos for, you know, two and a half years by that point and then being on the platform for so, so long to have a video go over a million. I was like, yes, oh my God, I've made it. And then I remember it happening. It happened within a week and this video has now gone over like five million. And I just looked at it and I was like, I don't feel any different. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to feel different. I thought there'd be like some kind of like internal pat on the back that would be like, yes, you've made it. You won the game. And, and then I realized I was like, no, that's not that's not how it works. Um, and the coolest thing about it, though, was that I was on a trip uh, and I was in Madrid and I was able to share it with people who I enjoyed spending time with. And that was the thing that made it special. Not the fact that it went over a million, but the fact that I was around other people who were there going, oh, my God, well done. That's so cool. And then I got to enjoy it. And then we just started talking about something else, you know. And I, so after that, I realized, right, OK, it's really cool to have lots of videos now with over a, a million views, but it doesn't make you feel any different. And if you don't enjoy the process of making that video and you're not proud of it and then it goes over a million, that's a whole other bizarre headache that you will go through as a creative. The thing that's happened recently is that I am a huge fan of John Mayer. And in March, I made a video about one of his songs that was yet to be released and it caught his attention. And although the video didn't go like crazy, crazy viral, it did, it did very well. It was more that it hit the one person that I wanted to see it. And then <laughs> dealing with that aftermath mentally of having your favorite musician say, oh, hey, that was cool. That's a whole bizarre headache that I never thought that I would ever go through because I, I never thought that I would catch that kind of attention. And so it's all just a mental process. And if you get too in your head about it, then you won't upload ever again. Um, and you kind of have to just go, right, do I love sitting alone in a room <laughs> and, <laughs> and writing a song uh, or making a video? Do I enjoy that? If I don't, then I need to quit. If I do, then okay, right. How do we start from zero again? Um, because you're always starting from zero. You're always starting from nothing. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a bizarre thing. And it's not a thing that many other people will experience. And it's um, because, you know, they're not playing the same game and that's fine. And it's not something to complain about either. I'm not whining. It's just an interesting part of the journey that I kind of never really expected. So yeah, I don't know I don't know whether that resonates with you at all. No, it definitely. Uh, although I I now have to ask like what? What's the John Mayer story? How did you know that he he saw the video what happened there? So he was he was releasing TikToks of his new music, but he was just sort of like uh just like little teasers. And this goes back to the classical music education, like one of the exercises we used to do was you'd get given a few bars of a classical composer and then you'd write in the style of that classical composer and you'd finish off the piece and then you'd compare and contrast it against the original thing. And, you know, it's kind of like a maths problem, really. Um, you know, there are, there are certain things that can happen in a and it's particularly in a three and a half minute pop song. It's a really fun exercise. So 
I'm a big fan of his music. I know it very well. I know all his songs inside out have learned many of them on the guitar. And when he was dropping these little hints, I was like, do you know what? I think I could probably finish the song for him and try and get it out before he actually gets it out online. And it was like end of March. It was a Tuesday. Started creating it, thinking that he was going to release it on that Friday. Finished the song, uploaded it on Thursday evening. It was a big two days because it was a, a fully produced track that I had to write, uh, well, I had to finish. I just sat in my studio uh, and worked in Ableton on it, got it done. Then me and my friends, we shot a music video for it uh, in an hour on that Thursday afternoon on the beach in the cold, trying to pretend like it was warm. Yeah. And then we edited the video, got the video up. And yeah, within two hours, a mutual friend of ours, which is hilarious because like, I can't believe that I've had a mutual friend with John Mayer for quite a long time now. Uh, he actually sent it directly to him saying, hey, you should check out this video. It's kind of funny. And yeah, he then shared it on his Instagram. And then he DM'd me and I've kind of kept quiet about like that part until literally today, actually, because the song that I finished back in March has finally come out. So now there's like you can literally like com compare and contrast them. And on Monday night this week, he uh, DM'd me again and he said, would you like to react to it? Um, would you like to hear it before anyone else? And uh, so I did. And then luckily got the, the video uploaded today. And yeah, he even he even obliged. And I, I asked him, I was like, hey, just to you know, tie this video together, could you contribute something? And so he sent me a voice note in, you know, sort of saying what we'd said in text. So that's why I'm like, I'm really happy to be talking to you because it means I'm not checking YouTube right now. <laughs> because again, I'm just going to be back where I started, uh, you know, three months ago when I made that first video, he saw it and I was like, oh my God, John Mayer's seen my face. Oh my God, John Mayer's seen me be like a silly idiot, you know, not take myself too seriously. But then he's also seen me be a singer songwriter. And he's, you know, he's got such a good sense of humor that he was like, this is cool. Whereas he could have been offended because I basically ruined his song, you know? And yeah, so now I don't know what my next video is going to be. Luckily, I think I've already got one in the bag so I can just upload that and then try and uh, start making another video. Yeah, that's the, that's the crazy thing that's happened to me this year, all from the same room, you know, like, this whole lockdown period, it's just like all this crazy stuff has happened to quite a lot of our YouTuber friends. And um, we've all just been in the same four walls. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I know. I mean, it's... any story that involves you saying, so John Mayer DMs me, like <laughs> that, just being able to drop that quote <laughs> anywhere is already like a great place to start. Ooh. Do you know what the funniest thing is that I, and I'm going to dine out on this for years because it's just going to be my my dinner party story. But he said that you're a content genius at one point in the DMs. And I was literally showing all my friends being like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be every time someone doubts my like my idea or whatever, or I, even if I make a stupid YouTube video, I'll be like, yeah, but John Mayer thinks I'm a content genius. So screenshot, print, <laughs> put it on the wall. I was I was thinking of uh, screenshotting the initial initial conversation and then literally putting it in my bathroom just so that everyone that visits me <laughs> goes to the loo instead of you know how like people put Oscars and Grammys in their bathrooms. <laughs> I was like, here's here's an accolade. <laughs> but yeah, I still need to I still need to do that. Oh god, that is fantastic. Yeah. After that high note, what <laughs> are your expectations towards the future? What sort of projects are you excited about? Do you know what? I'm just excited about not knowing anymore. Like it's already gotten way too out of hand. 
It's already gotten <laughs> far too big. Um, I'm just excited about really just like evolving and and um, continuing to make content that will win some fans and then probably lose some fans. I just feel like it's just like a really interesting journey. I have a few things in the works, uh, whether it's like educational courses and an album, hopefully. But at the moment, like I, I nothing is sort of nothing's finished yet. But yeah, I'm I'm just sort of still just chipping away at being able to keep on doing this crazy job of ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for for sharing your story and giving me your perspective on a part of YouTube that I definitely did not know enough about. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me on. <laughs> <laughs>